Hi there, and welcome to a new episode of our FinTech podcast series for FinSight, the global financial institutions industry podcast. My name is Sue McLean, and I'm a partner in Baker McKenzie's technology group in London and our global tech lead for FinTech. Our new episode is the first of two episodes which we're dedicating to crypto assets and regulation. Listeners may be interested to know that Baker McKenzie recently released a new guide entitled Crypto Around the World, which looks into these developments by answering 20 key questions. And I'm delighted to be joined today by the three leads of this new report, Iris Barsan, counsel in Baker McKenzie's Paris office, who specializes in banking, financial regulation and compliance, Chris Moore a U.S. attorney in our Zurich office who focuses on fintech, international tax and wealth management, and Julian Hui, an associate in the financial services group in our London office and one of the members of our UK fintech practice. So welcome to you all. In the past year, we've seen crypto assets continue to mature and move into the mainstream, whether with consumers or institutional investors. We've also seen the explosive rise of NFTs as a new popular form of crypto asset. But before we get into detail on how law and regulators are responding to crypto assets, perhaps we could start by setting the scene, as some of our listeners may not be too familiar with crypto assets and the different market participants. So can I come to you, Chris? Could you start by briefly explaining what crypto assets are? Sure. Thanks, Sue. I I do think that's a great place to start. Uh, Cryptocurrencies or crypto or crypto tokens are digital units and ownership records of the digital units are stored in a computerized database. And that database uses cryptography. uh, So a means to encode the transactions and the records uh, so that they cannot be easily manipulated. And I think it's crucial to remember that the definition really is that general. Uh, because otherwise, it get, it's really easy to get lost in the weeds. Uh, there are many, many different ways to design the databases to store the records. Uh, so when you hear people speak about decentralized and distributed and pseudo-anonymous and permissioned or permissionless or other buzzwords, uh, they're, they're really talking about specific types or features of the database that records the ownership. And there are many, many different different ways to design cryptocurrencies. So you may hear terms like payment token and virtual currency and stable coin asset or security token, utility token and NFTs. And these are all terms to help describe the purpose the crypto is supposed to serve. And my guess is we'll touch upon a lot of these concepts today, but it really is best, I think, to remember that we're dealing with a very broad umbrella. When we speak about cryptocurrencies, they're digital units, transaction records are stored in a digital database. And that database is used as cryptography. Thanks so much, Chris. And, and I absolutely agree. It's it's a broad umbrella um, and it's important to, to understand that. Julian, can you tell us a little bit about who are the key participants involved in crypto assets from a market perspective? Yeah. So there are a number of different participants and it's key to remember that actually they they will not necessarily be involved in every single type of crypto asset because there are lots of different types of crypto assets and there are a lot of different ways that people can engage with crypto assets. So what we're going to sort of discuss here is obviously by, by its nature quite general. So from the first point, I guess we start with the crypto asset generation and that can be the miners, the people who is doing, who are launching an ICO, for example, it could be banks, um, token platforms, but it's effectively those people involved in the creation of the crypto assets. And that's kind of at the start point. Then, obviously, you've got the investors. They're the people who are trading in the crypto assets. That can be you and me. It can be increasingly financial institutions. It can really be any of those participants who are looking to, to sort of hold or acquire crypto assets. 
We then have exchanges who will facilitate trading uh, between investors um, and it can go between the platform and the investor or between investors and investors. Um, sometimes those exchanges will also build in a what we call a custodian wallet provider or the custodian wallet provider might itself be separate. The custodian wallet provider effectively provides the storage and security services uh, to effectively hold uh, an individual's crypto assets. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to do this. You know, we can talk about cold storage, and which is sort of offline storage of these, but there's so many different ways that you can actually hold the relevant crypto assets. Um, increasingly, as I've mentioned, we're starting to see traditional financial services providers, so asset managers, fund advisors, brokers, dealers, those sorts of people becoming involved in crypto assets as it's become more mainstream. And also, we're starting to see the involvement of central banks who are looking at doing things like issuing central bank digital currencies. Finally, we're now starting to see new services spin off all of this. So, for example, in particular around DeFi platforms where they might actually allow stuff like securities lending equivalents, but for crypto assets. And as that develops, we'll start to see a lot more, I guess, innovative new products and services being offered as well. So when we've discussed these these participants, I said it's by its nature general, they won't necessarily be involved in every single uh, crypto asset. And I think we're going to start to see a lot more sort of new new players as well as as, as these sorts of um, services develop. Thank you so much. I think that's a really uh, helpful introduction, uh, Julian. Um, Iris, maybe I can come to, to you next. When we speak of regulating crypto assets, obviously there are a number of aspects to bear in mind here, um, you know, trying to understand whether the crypto confers property rights, what the taxation issues are, a lot of concerns around the use of crypto um, in connection with financial crime or terrorist financing. And then there's a whole host of issues around payments and securities rules. Can you unpack some of the key financial services regulatory issues for us? Yes, sure. Gladly. Um, so the first thing I would want to say is that as uh, Chris presented in the beginning, crypto assets can be very diverse. So in order to determine what uh, part of financial regulation would apply to these crypto assets, you would start to need qualifying what the features of the given of a given crypto assets, uh, asset are in order to determine what uh, what rules apply. And here there is a consensus amongst regulators, um, which is substance over form, obviously. So if your uh, token has characteristics of securities, financial instruments like derivatives, for example, um, or, or, or bonds or, or something like that, uh, then you would obviously apply a regular securities law. Um, if um, there is there are any other features that would resemble something we know already, let's take e-money, for example, then obviously we will apply regular e-money law, right? Uh, and so on and so forth. So um, any ad hoc regulation that might have been adopted by some jurisdictions, which actually happened, uh, would only apply on a subsidiary basis, meaning that if ever your crypto asset has a feature of something we already know, we will apply this uh, uh, regulation, even though the, the asset is tokenized and traded on a blockchain. And if ever you, uh, you happen to, to, to have created something that the existing legislation does not know, then we will look into, is there an ad hoc regime and can we apply these rules, right? So 
this is the first point. Uh, secondly, there are obviously a couple of top topics um, everyone is talking about and a lot of regulators have been thinking about and some have even adopted legislation. Topics like, for example, transparency, a lot of as it's a very uh, volatile asset and also a very uh, tech-savvy asset. A lot of investors or potential investors actually don't really understand what they're investing into. So there is a need for transparency. There is also a huge need for investor protection, obviously, because there have been, as always in the startup sector, and in this set sector, it's not just startups, but it's also a very tech-savvy environment and, and, and quite complex environment. So there have been quite some scams. Um, and so invest, um, regulators are, are, are implementing more and more rules in order to protect investors. You have issues around market integrity because this is a market. And as on any market, you can have market manipulation, you can have insider trading. And this is still a quite new topic uh, where there, there are some, some initiatives, but nothing concrete has been adopted yet. You have issues around money laundering and uh, the combating the financing of terrorism or more general misuse of crypto. And um, then you also have uh, topics around safeguarding or custody custodianship of these assets, being, which is related to investor protection, obviously. So roughly speaking, these are the topics. Now, with regards to regulation, a huge distinction needs to be made. Um, in the EU... And in a lot of other countries, too, there has been some uh, legislation enacted regulating uh, service providers on crypto, at least some of the service providers. Why? Well, because the international standard setter with regards to money laundering uh, issued guidelines requiring all states to regulate some of the very important uh, services providers. And this has been uh, enacted in the EU through a directive that has been transposed in all member states. So here you start to have a landscape that, um, that seems to go towards uh, a common denominator, at least, um, even though obviously it's only with regards to AML and there are other questions beyond the AML that also need to be tackled. And this is the reason why some countries like France, for example, adopted ad hoc uh, legislation on crypto assets and intermediaries. But we also have some uh, proposals, very interesting proposals in the pipeline at the, uh, at the European level. For example, the Mika regulation proposal, which is the markets in crypto assets regulation proposal. Um, and these, um, these countries, well, what did they, what did they regulate? They regulated uh, the issuance of crypto assets in form of ICOs, of initial coin offerings. But they also went further in regulating intermediaries or regulating direct solicitation in order to protect investors and so on and so forth. Um, so with regards to ICOs, initial coin offerings, um, it's always the same topics, transparency, investor protection, but also perhaps a little bit market integrity. So the French 
regulation tackled the first two items but didn't go into market integrity yet. In Mika, there is a proposal to tackle market integrity issues. Uh, and then the second layer of regulation would be the intermediaries, the service providers on crypto assets, where the direction is requiring them to register or to obtain a license, to adopt conduct rules, uh, to have some kind of own funds or so minimum capital or insurance and so on and so forth. Um, and finally, one huge topic um, that, um, well, we saw emerge just before the Mika proposal, but that is um, especially tackled in the Mika proposal is what we call stable coins. So uh, a new topic that has been especially broached by, by the Mika regulation proposal is stable coins. Stable coins try to tackle one of the issues of cryptocurrencies, which is their volatility by backing the, the crypto asset by, by, by regular assets. So like, like fiat money. And Mika is trying to, to, to go into this topic by distinguishing global stable coins and central bank stable coins. Um, and finally, uh, another issue that we also can find in Mika is anything related to safeguarding these assets and custody. Thanks, Iris. And perhaps I can come to you, Julian. Um, in kind of in comparison, obviously, the UK now has more freedom to do things a bit differently. How how are the key financial regulators approaching regulation of crypto more generally? Or do you have a different perspective around this, um, building on what Iris has, has been telling us? Yeah. So we've seen effectively four different, I guess, regulatory approaches, we can say, to crypto assets. The first is, I guess, there's no crypto-specific regulation. And it's just relying on existing um, regulatory approaches to sort of pigeonhole uh, crypto assets to one of those regulatory approaches. So, for example, classifying them as, as securities where the tokens bear security-like um, features, classifying them as e-money or as in a, a stored value type approach where they're used in transactions, and then also not regulating some of them. So, for example, Bitcoin generally falls outside that regulation. So, that, that's kind of the first approach. The second approach we've seen is where they will actually take just an AML registration approach. Um, across the EU, we saw that with 5MLD, where there was a, a drive to actually regulate certain virtual asset service providers a lot increasingly that is that approach is being taken across the world and that's partly because of work by fataf to regulate virtual asset service providers and to standardize that approach so that they are picked up for ml purposes from there we are now starting to see uh, sort of minimal crypto specific regulation um, and so uh, where the fca will actually seek to step in and prohibit or to regulate the most harmful type of behavior relating to crypto assets. Um, so, for example, the FCA banning the use of crypto derivatives or regulating financial promotions relating to, to crypto assets. Um, finally, we then have the crypto-specific regulatory regime, and that's what we're starting to see, obviously, in the EU with MICA, where it's actually seeking to regulate crypto assets as a specific asset class. Uh, in the UK, they they the FCA and HM Treasury have actually taken a slightly more restrained approach and they're not seeking to regulate at this stage all crypto assets, but they're really just focusing on those stable coins that Iris mentioned. And the reason for that is that that reference-backed asset point um, is a concern for them because the, there is a concern that some of those uh, stable coins will not actually perform as they're supposed to and that the reference assets won't necessarily exist. So there is that concern around the stable coins and also, I guess, the, 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 the view that stable coins will actually 
have potential broad application. So the focus in the UK is just around stablecoins at this point in time. Um, although it's quite interesting, we saw some consumer research come out from the FCA, I think it was yesterday, noting that actually a lot more people starting to get involved in crypto assets and actually these days they're considering those crypto assets to be less risky. So we might see some more, more movement from HM Treasury and FCA there as well. Absolutely. Thank you. And and then now we, perhaps we can come to you, Chris. I mean, I think I think some of the uh, crypto enthusiasts out there who who are sort of libertarian in terms of their politics um, may think that crypto gets them around tax. But as we know, that's not the case. The law applies. And we've seen, you know, for example, <laughs> the Biden administration make make uh, noises that they're going to be trying to crack down on, on, on those folks who are trying to evade tax. So what would you say are the sort of key uh, key tax issues that we need to think about in this context? For sure. Um, yeah, so especially as the value of these assets increases, uh, governments certainly see it as a target for potential revenue. And that's um, that's where taxes come in. So it's, it's a great, great concept to keep in mind. Um, the tax treatment of cryptocurrencies varies greatly among countries. And some of that is because certain countries have enacted specific laws dealing with crypto. Uh, some have used, just kept their existing laws, but issued some sort of guidance or interpretation of the existing laws. And some just kind of leave you guessing and you try to you know, determine uh, as best you can to see how it fits within the existing regime. Uh, but there are a variety of taxable events uh, when you deal with crypto. And uh, you'll notice that this is a, a reoccurring theme that a lot of it depends where you are and what type of crypto you're dealing with. Um, so potential taxable events. Uh, you could you may earn crypto for work uh, rather than traditional wages, and so you w- could have income and employment taxes uh, is relevant there, either as the employee or if you pay someone in crypto, uh, that uh, may also be relevant for you. Uh, if you receive crypto rewards for participating in consensus mechanisms, uh, so if we're thinking here of mining or staking, uh, that could be taxable income to you. Uh, if you use uh, crypto to purchase goods or services, um, that may equate to an exchange of crypto that triggers a taxable event. And in a similar concept, if you trade or exchange crypto for fiat currency, or if you trade one crypto for another crypto, uh, this could be capital gain income or some sort of other taxable income that's attributable uh, or applicable to selling investments. Um, Also, the thing to keep in mind is VAT implications. So the issuance or sale of certain cryptocurrencies could constitute a good or service that you're offering to the recipient. Uh, So that that could trigger VAT collection and payment obligations. So whether any of those events is taxable uh, depends uh, where you are a tax tax resident or the transactions occurring and how that country also views the crypto you're dealing with. So some countries make the distinction between securities type tokens or pure investment type tokens um, compared to payment tokens that are really just a currency equivalent. And the tax treatment may be different depending on that classification. Other countries like the U.S., for example, doesn't make these distinctions for tax purposes and generally treats all crypto the same um, with respect to tax. Uh, So it really does depend on how your country views um, the crypto And then also whether you're a professional crypto trader or if they view you just as an ordinary investor or user. Um, I guess one thing I just want to add at the end is that uh, kind of tying back to Sue's original point, 
is that we do see a ramping up of tax enforcement actions and audits uh, specifically in this industry. So this is something to keep in mind. If you think that it is not, it is hard to trace these transactions. Um, it is clear that the governments are getting better and better at tracing them and finding out um, who is involved. Thanks for that, Chris. And perhaps in the last few minutes of this first episode, we can look at that issue of uh, retail investment in crypto and what the regulators are focusing on. As, as Julian's already touched on, we had a report this week in the UK from the FCA, the UK Financial Services Regulator, that suggested um, that more than 4% of adults in the UK, which is, you know, uh, about 2.3 million people now own crypto assets. And, and that seems to have increased over the pandemic period, perhaps just because people are more aware of crypto, got more time on their hands and are interested in um, investing or speculating, however you see it. Um, but, but, but it's clear from the regulatory report that the overall level of understanding of crypto is still pretty low and the level of awareness of risk is not um, very well understood. Um, and, and I have to say, on a personal basis, I'm pretty conscious of how mainstream crypto assets have become because literally the other day, my 10-year-old son turned around to me and asked me what Bitcoin was. And he is somebody who spends a lot of time on YouTube watching gamers' videos, which I assume is where it's come through into, into his awareness. So I'd be really interested to ask each of you, looking ahead, do you think that regulators will start making moves um, in this area and start to increase their focus on retail investment in crypto? Julian, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I think the way that the UK has approached it is that the FCA and HM Treasury don't want to stand in the way of innovation. They like to encourage, I guess, uh, these new kind of products and to encourage the UK and, you know, I guess London particularly as a financial global financial centre um, to be at the forefront of a lot of these innovations of fi in finance. So I think their approach is let's not try and interfere with it too much. Nonetheless, as we start to see retail investors becoming involved, you will start to see a lot more regulatory intervention and, and you know, regulatory interest. The reason being that we have seen a lot of volatility in these assets. And whilst people have made a lot of gains, there's also, you know, quite substantial risks here as well. And so I think the regulators want to avoid any sort of perception that they've been sort of taking a back seat while this has been running rampant. So I think at the moment it's a it's trying to achieve that balance between, you know, not standing in the way of innovation, but also ensuring protection of retail investors. And what about you, Iris? Do you, do you think that's right? Do you think this is kind of one to watch? Yeah, uh, obviously, as soon as we're talking about uh, retail investors, we're talking about consumer finance and we're talking about a broad public that needs protection because uh, not only uh, do they not always understand the financial risks they take, but here we're also talking about a very complex technology. And so uh, some regulators already intervened and all the uh, regulatory uh, proposals in the pipelines always have um, a side that is covering uh, investor protection, right? So do we, we, we will definitely see more action from the regulators. The, the, the more this uh, type of investments is accepted by the big public. Um, and it, this is also the way how it will become eventually more mainstream. You already have regulations, for example, allowing 
some AIF funds to invest into crypto. So indirectly, some investors can already invest into crypto through a, a fund um, system. But obviously, you have also a lot of people having uh, crypto in, in, in different kind of wallets uh, that are intermediated or not. And uh, the, the part of the regulation tackling, for example, services providers also tackle portfolio managers in crypto assets. So this also is a way of indirectly um, protecting retail investors. Great. Thank you so much, everyone. That's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you also to our listeners for joining us today. Please do join us for the second in this two-parter where we will continue our discussion on crypto assets. If you find this podcast helpful and would like to learn more, please do check out our Crypto Around the World publication available on bakermckenzie.com. We have added new jurisdictions in the most recent version. Once again, I'm Sue McLean and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us for the next episode of Finsight. <laughs>